Welcome back to Expanding the Continuum, where we explore the clinical, ethical, and programmatic issues that emerge when providing HIV care to survivors of violence. We invite luminaries in the field to discuss the real implications of a health sector response to intimate and patriarchal violence and the intersections with HIV. This podcast is brought to you by Futures Without Violence and the National Network to End Domestic Violence. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to another episode of Expanding the Continuum. I'm Ashley Sly, your host for today, and I am joined by Kaylee Flynn and Evan Jones from Sojourner House in Providence, Rhode Island. Welcome to both of you, and thanks for joining us to talk about HIV testing uh, being provided by domestic violence programs. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you for having us. So to start, can you each share a little bit about your role at Sojourner House and then a bit about the sexual health and HIV supportive services you all offer? Yeah, I can start. Um, Yeah, Kaylee Flynn. I'm the sexual health coordinator here at Sojourner House. Uh, The way I describe my job is into three sections. So part of it is sexual assaults advocacy and informal counseling. Another part is I go into schools, K through 12 and higher ed, to do education, a lot of prevention, but things just in the sex ed realm. And then, of course, we do a lot of HIV and hep C outreach in the community and connecting people to services. And I do a lot of that outreach as well. I am technically the SOAR coordinator. So SOAR works as a program. It's a national program that specifically helps individuals who are unhoused or displaced to navigate disability because it is such an overwhelming process. But I started as the LGBTQ advocate, and that's what got me on the HIV team. And now, in addition to doing the SOAR Works stuff, I also do street outreach and um, pass out safer uh, sex supplies, as well as safe injection supplies, harm reduction, and things like that. So that's how I contribute to the team. Great. You all bring a wealth of knowledge with you. So I think this conversation is going to be fantastic today. So I I know the three of us understand the importance of connection between intimate partner violence and HIV services, but tell us a little about the decision to really start offering these services. And I know this goes way back. Yeah. So Sojourner House actually began working with HIV testing back in the 1990s. We did a lot of partnerships. Of course, it looked a lot different back then. So that faded out over time, but back in 2011, we received a grant from the City of Providence to reestablish that. And then back in between 2012 and 2013, we received more funding from the Department of Health to continue that outreach. And so it's expanded a lot. So we've been able to have a lot of touch points in the state. Um, And we are the only domestic violence agency in the state that provides this. And we also, we were the first agency in the state to provide services to lesbian and gay individuals in the 90s. And that was a real big reason why we started doing the HIV outreach. We don't know how they did testing then because now we have the gift of rapid tests, which are wonderful. But um, it's pretty incredible to see how this program has grown over the last few decades. Absolutely. And the importance that it brings to the community, because I, you know, I know in speaking with other folks at Sojourner House um, that y'all don't just provide um, testing within your organization, but you do outreach to other shelter programs and and community based organizations, which I think is really incredible um, and really speaks to the reach that y'all have in the community. So 
you know, thank you for the continued work that you all do this and really, you know, setting um, the stage for other programs to be able to, to take this on. And I'm sure it was a, you know, lengthy road to get where you all are at today. Um, but to help, you know, someone that might be interested in, in undertaking a similar program, um, can you share some of the initial steps that you all took to begin implementing um, HIV testing? Well, I would say, first of all, right now we're fortunate that there's some good funding available. So looking for the funding opportunities, it can seem overwhelming, but there's, there, especially in Rhode Island, we have a great training program. It's accessible to people. It's free. And so if you have an organization that wants to become certified in HIV testing, you can do that free of charge. And then you can test in your facilities, do outreach like we do. So I would say look for the funding and pursue it because it's not quite as, as overwhelming as you might assume it's going to be. I'm sure Kaylee knows a little bit more too about what we do for our steps right now. Yeah, no, Evan's totally right. It's not as arduous as one would think. The modules are online provided by the Department of Health. It's completely free. Yeah, and since we do all rapid testing, anyone can receive that uh, those kits to get that done. But yeah, all the coalitions in the state, we're all, we all work together to provide this outreach. And that's the best part about being from Rhode Island. Um, everyone knows each other. So it's really, really easy to network in that way. And organizations are always looking to help out. So we work a lot with Project Web Renew and of the Department of Health. And so you can, like Kaylee said, you can get those tests, those kits for free. We even were given some at-home kits for free last year and during the pandemic, which was really helpful because obviously people couldn't come in and do testing. So we were able to mail them out to them. And that was really incredible. Yes, absolutely. Access to at-home testing is really important. And Robin, um, our colleague at the National Network Test and Domestic Violence is actually working on some stuff around at-home testing. So I know NNEDV has a lot more coming out soon on that. In relation to at-home testing, um, just in general, how do folks access testing at, at Sojourner House? Yeah, so a part of our intake process, we do offer testing to anyone coming in. We have a lot of different clients receiving different types of services. So anywhere between um, a walk-in, maybe they're in crisis, um, people who are going to our housing clinics as well, all of those are available. So now our tests are at each of our sites. So anyone can access that. So again, it's part of our regular intake for anyone. And we also advertise um, on our social media. Anyone can give us a call. I actually, right before this, I just received an email, someone looking for a test and yeah, I'll just connect with them right after this. So it is really, really accessible. I think the task right now is just to getting that information out there. And when we're doing street outreach, we pass out in our, we have packs of condoms and in the packs of condoms, we have cards that tell people they can get free um, HIV and hep C testing at Sojourner House. And once that's established, I, you know, I have a few clients who get tested regularly. And every month they just let me know they want to get a test and, and we do that. So once they know that it's free and where to get it, I mean, we will work with anyone and the different locations help. So whether you're in Woonsocket or you're somewhere in Providence or really anywhere in the state, you can catch us at one of our testing events. We're all over the place. Yeah, those outreach events are so important and just, you know, street outreach, whatever you're doing to be able to reach um Folks that may not be familiar with your services is really important. And then on top of that comes the word of mouth and how important that is, you know, of, of letting other people know that, you know, maybe you're just not um, reaching yet. So that's that's great. 
So as with so many other areas we work in as advocates, are there any challenges you are currently facing in regards to providing survivors with HIV testing? Yeah, I would say the stigma unfortunately still exists. So even though we offer it to everyone who walks in our doors or reaches up to um, reach out to us, it's still that thought that this would not affect them. So that is a major barrier, I would say, um, just getting that connection. Um, yeah, just the stigma that still exists around it. And then the fear. It's like if they don't know, they just don't know. They don't have to deal with it. But. And fear, you know, we work with working with victims of domestic violence, fear of their partner finding out or their partner not allowing them to access testing or their partner deliberately keeping them from testing, which we see occasionally. So, yeah, with Kaylee, fear and stigma, those are the two big battles. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And uh, something that right we all work so hard on to, to dismantle every single day in this work. So, Right. We make progress, but, you know, it's it's still a challenge, you know, and, and really trying to get the word out while there is so much stigma can be challenging. I still see a lot among women, especially too, who don't think that they can get HIV. And even with all the education, even with the fact that we know that almost half of people with HIV living with HIV are women, there's still so many people who think it's a gay disease or think that it can only be contracted one way. There are many drug um, and IV drug users who don't understand how they can contract HIV. So that general lack of knowledge and, well, that goes back to the stigma, but it's just really astounding to me as we see the numbers rise among women, we, we don't see the same amount of education geared towards women. We still see it geared towards one population. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's why it's so important that we that we are building these partnerships, you know, between domestic violence and HIV organizations. So we can be building out more knowledge and just educational opportunities for folks that are reaching different people um, in very different ways. So you've touched on stigma and fear and then even this lack of knowledge. But what are some of the other barriers that are, are preventing survivors from getting tested? I would say maybe... A lot of people don't know that this is so available. I think a lot of people are very, very surprised when we say, yeah, these are rapid tests. Because a lot of times when I go to testing events, um, people start rolling up their sleeves because they think we're going to start drawing blood. And they just don't know how accessible it is. So um, a barrier is just people just not knowing. That's a big one. We also see young people are, for some reason, not getting tested, even though... They have more information about sex, or it seems that they have more information about sex and STIs and prevention than before. Because they have medications and such, they're not understanding that you still need to get tested and you still need to get checked. So if you're a young person listening, make sure that you're getting tested because you can come to us for free. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, trying to um, reach youth and connect with them. You know, it's. I think it is. You know, challenging in general to you know reach different age groups with certain information. Right? Is how do we change our language and and meet people where they're at, depending on you know their different situations, their age, their gender identity. All of those things come into play when when you're trying to reach folks and you know again break down the stigma and the fear that can come with that. So not related. And I told you I wasn't going to do this, but I do want to um, ask about prevention efforts because I've talked with folks at Sojourner House around access to PrEP before. But, you know, do you have survivors that are 
accessing this or requesting access to PrEP? Yeah, I would say in my experience so far, um, it's about 50-50 know about PrEP versus who never heard of it before. Um, And I do ask them, how did you hear about PrEP? And a lot of times it's uh, TV commercials. Um, So again, you have to have a TV and you have to be able to see commercials to get that. And I guess that's really, really out there. Um, Yeah, and very few who I've come across um, who do know about it don't think they qualify. So I do go over actually the cards that we hand out during our outreach events are the ones that you've provided us. Um, It's really, really helpful and comprehensive. And then, um, you know, I leave it up to them to see if they want to receive those medications. And whenever we do an HIV test, we ask people if they know about PrEP. So that gives us a good opportunity. So on a lot of these outreach events, that's the first time someone's ever heard of the medication. And so that's helpful. Yes, it is great how far we've come in terms of awareness of it, right? There's so many commercials on TV about it, which is fantastic. But again, you have to have a TV to to see that. But the fact that people do know, I think, is is really um, uh, incredible and, and how far things have come. One of the challenges I think we still face with access to PrEP and not trying to get us off track with HIV testing, but with PrEP in general is who fits into these boxes of who can access PrEP. And I think we're continuing to fight those um, beliefs around, you know, should a survivor be able to access PrEP because she doesn't or they don't or he doesn't identify with these certain things. So trying to work on breaking those down. So I think that's great that you all have been able to do some knowledge building around PrEP as well as HIV testing. So getting us back to to HIV testing, why do you think it's important for domestic violence programs to offer HIV testing? To me, it acknowledges that they're a full human and everything we go off is just getting power and control back into the survivor. And this is a huge part, is just knowing that they are able to better control what happens to them in the future and they're able to make choices. Yeah, and even when it comes to things like PrEP, they're able to armor themselves in a way. Yeah, but to me, sexual health is a major part of human, uh, just being a human, that gives them power and control back. Yeah, I think Kaylee nailed it. um, That's what we try to do in empowering victims and survivors. And I had a great train of thought and I lost it because I was so caught up in what she was saying. Um, (laughs) But... I mean, obviously, we know that the fear plays a big part. People are prohibited from getting tested, like we said earlier. And there are also those who have their partners lie to them. Unfortunately, they don't know that their partner is um, sleeping with other people or having sexual interactions with other people. They might not know that their partner is using drugs or is an IV drug user. And so that, that they might not have any idea that this could be a problem. And when they come to us, you know, a lot of times they're unpacking a lot of things that they didn't know about. And so being able to offer those services in a DV agency from a trauma-informed response is very important for us and for survivors. Yeah, the the trauma-informed piece, that is so important, um, you know, especially in talking about something as delicate as sexual health and, and reproductive health. And, you know, the fact that we as, as DV advocates have an understanding of what trauma is and how it presents and being able to to reach people in a different way, I think is so important. And I think also the fact that you can provide services in one place without having to ask people to go to the next place and the next place and the next place, um, I think can be really helpful, especially for someone that is 
maybe still in dealing with the trauma or maybe they are in a, a space of crisis, um, but they, they do want that testing. The fact that you all can do it, I think is really important to also building some trust with, with the survivor that you're working with. Right. And I always like people to think, you know, when someone comes to us for an intake, sometimes that can take two, three hours. You unload everything. And then after that, to have to go to a clinic or have to go somewhere else, you know, it is overwhelming. And oftentimes people won't do that. And like you said, we can provide it there. We can also tell them that there's nothing to be worried about and we can dispel some of their fears because like Kaylee said, people think they're going to have to go get blood somewhere and they're going to get calls from doctors and we can keep everything confidential and right there for them and give them some peace of mind. Yeah. And I have a story too. Um, A couple of weeks ago, um, a client of ours, she went into housing clinic and during her intake, she was just explaining her situation And I'm actually not sure which one of our staff recommended it, but um, she came over to me to get an HIV test. Then she explained her story a little bit because her her abuser was using um, PEP that she knew for sure. But when she was in the process of trying to leave, she found a full bottle of his medication that he was not actually taking. So it was just this immediate connection. And we were able just to build that trust immediately. She felt so good at this housing clinic that she could trust us, that she came to me. And we were able to connect her to all those services um, in a way. And then she actually never even heard of PrEP before. So then I was able to give her all this information about PrEP, just in case she would ever need it for the future. That's great. I guess one thing that comes to mind is if, you know, after you've provided the test and it comes back positive, what would be your next steps at that point with someone? So our next steps are immediately to refer them to confirmation testing. So with rapid test, even though with the HIV test, they say they're 99% accurate, I can say from personal experience, even 99%, there's still that 1% chance I've had false positives come back. Um, So the first thing they need to do is they do need to go get a blood test. And we usually refer them to the nearest clinic where they can do that. Um, And then from there, the clinic takes over. So if there is a positive uh, test, then the clinic will have to take over. There is, unfortunately, there's still records that we keep. I think that's, um, well, I'm not going to get into that. But they can be set up with all of the, the further medications and such they need. And it's important for people to know when I have had that to remind them this is not a death sentence anymore. HIV is very treatable. I have good friends who live with HIV who live full, healthy lives. They are undetectable, meaning they cannot transmit HIV. And so I am am able to provide that comfort to people. And that was not always true in the past. So I don't know how they did that in the 90s. I don't know how they did that even in the early 2000s. But today we can tell people, you're going to be okay. Get them to that confirmation testing. And then we follow up with them just to make sure that they did follow through and they did go to that that testing and they were um, hooked up with a professional. Wonderful. Yeah, it's amazing how, how far, you know, we've come. You know, we talked about PrEP, but just in general, like access to care and the options and opportunities to access those medications and, and whatnot is, is really um so incredible. And the fact that you can do it in, in such a compassionate way is, is really important. Again, if someone has has experienced trauma, just those little things can make a huge difference in, in how they stay connected to our services, how they stay in care, um, how they you know are able to access housing um, can come down to just one little interaction um, that we have with folks. So kind of to wrap up our conversation, 
What is something you would each tell someone from uh, another domestic violence program who wants to expand their work and provide HIV testing, but is maybe overwhelmed or is unsure where to start? Yeah. Kind of touching on the first thing we discussed, it's really not as difficult as it seems. Um, Frankly, it's like vital incorporating sexual health into the conversation, just recognizing them as being a whole person. But yeah, reaching out, reaching out because somebody else, some organization near you is doing it and reaching out to them and just figuring out where those funding sources are and just how to go forward. People doing this work want your help. I can promise you that. So if you're thinking about starting HIV testing, as Kaylee said, there is someone near you. Depending on the state you're in, a lot of states will provide you free resources. Like I said, there is funding available for this work. It is vital to what we do. If you work with victims of domestic violence, this really is a service that has to be provided, in my opinion. So there's a lot of help out there. You can reach out to us, you can reach out to others, but we want your help. There is so much work to be done and we need everyone we can on board. Absolutely. You know, I always talk about, you know, if we're going to end these dual epidemics of HIV and domestic violence and sexual violence, like we have to be working together. They cannot be done in silos because they each are impacting each other, whether it's a survivor is unable to take their medication or access care because of their controlling abusive partner or the fact that, you know, domestic violence really opens someone up to, you know, greater possibility of acquiring HIV and all of those things. So they really are layered and we have to work together to do this. And one of those pieces is just domestic violence programs being able to offer HIV testing. So any last words from you all that you want to share? Um, I guess not to plug you all, but the resources on your website have been fantastic. Like really, really laying it out to our clients, just why these services are so necessary to really, really think about. Um, Yeah. So go to your website. And if you are a person who has been recently diagnosed with HIV, making sure you're connected to a provider, AIDS Care Ocean State in Rhode Island is fantastic. I can't say enough good about them. There are programs that are available and you're not alone. So, and most of all, in the stigma, let's do that. Yes, end the stigma. That is a great way to end this. So. Thank you both Kaylee and Evan. This has been a wonderful conversation and I appreciate everything you um, all have talked about and always look forward to to speaking with you all and, and further collaboration. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on Expanding the Continuum, brought to you by Futures Without Violence and the National Network to End Domestic Violence. If you like our show and want to know more about addressing the intersections of HIV and intimate partner violence, visit us online at ipvhealth.org and at nnedv.org. Thanks for listening.